Welcome to The Mind Killer, the rationalist brain on politics. As always, I'm Wesley Fenza. I'm Ineash Brodsky. And I'm David. Today is our last episode before the election, so we have a special announcement. We'll be doing a live episode on election night starting at 9 p.m. Eastern. We'll be doing it on Discord, so if you want to listen in, make sure you join the Discord server in the show notes. Now, nobody's sure we'll have actual results that night, but I'm sure there will be plenty to talk about. So if you want to hear the world's best election coverage, come listen in. We'll probably be streaming like Jackbox or Among Us or something like that between the, <laughs> the returns coming in. Yes, because we take politics extremely seriously around here. We take it exactly uh, as seriously as it deserves to be taken. Uh, in this episode, we'll be discussing the latest COVID news. Spoiler, it's bad. Some election shenanigans and some happy news about energy and small town America. Um, we're going to start with some notes from last episode. Um, David and Eniash, you wanted to update everyone on your disagreement about fires. Yeah, so confession from me, I have been somewhat behind on our sister podcast, the Bayesian, or, uh, yeah, the Bayesian Conspiracy is the sister podcast. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to bother plugging it because, frankly, I'm pretty sure our audience is a strict subset of the Bayesian Conspiracy, but on the off chance you aren't listening to them, then go listen to that. You can listen to Inyash and two of his friends ramble about other stuff. Uh, believe it or not, they're actually more rambly than we are. Anyway, I, uh, was behind on the Bayesian Conspiracy as of the recording of last episode, and so I did not hear Inyash's actual take on fires, uh, post-hearing my take about fires. And, uh, I apparently over-argued a little bit, um... And Inyash came away with the mistaken impression that fires were, that the wildfires were close to 0% caused by global warming. Uh, that is not true. Uh, that is not something I believe, and it is not something I endorse. Um, uh, I definitely think global warming plays a non-negligible role, but, uh, land management is also extremely important here. Uh, basically, global warming is making the kindling covering the the West Coast even more flammable, which we could fix that by not making it more flammable or by not having kindling covering the West Coast. Uh, but global warming is definitely a part of it. Um, and I apparently argued that case a little bit too strongly and uh accidentally gave Inyash the wrong impression and um yeah it seems to be sorted out for now so both land management and global warming are important uh I would again argue that we should be focusing most of our energy on land management because that's the part that's easy to fix without global cooperation but uh global warming is also significantly contributing to the problem uh that that was very well summed up i don't really have anything to add all right and another david overstates things news <laughs> uh we have an update on the uh approval rating when it comes to court packing yeah, so turns out uh, the approval rating of court packing is hovering about 30% and has been for a while. Uh, I really don't have anything to say in my own defense here. I just straight up misremembered the number for reasons that I'm not entirely clear on, but I will make sure it doesn't happen again. All right, but the fact remains that court packing is quite unpopular. Yes. Uh, yes, and I'm not sure it really... Does the popularity really matter that much as to whether this is a good or bad idea anyway? Lots of bad things are popular. This is one of those happy coincidences where something happens to be both unpopular and a terrible idea. Oh, unless you ask Wes. <laughs> well, I don't, because he's wrong. <laughs> this is also one of those issues where I'm pretty sure that as soon as a political party endorses it, it will shoot up to 54 or 50 against. This does seem so. like a thing we could have an entire bonus episode talking about. It really does. Ooh, I might be able to, uh, I might be able to get Ilya Soman on. 
Uh, yeah, this that? is one of those things that uh, if uh, if Biden wins the election and the Democrats take the Senate, uh, suddenly becomes a salient issue. So maybe we'll do that. All right, perfect. Who is this other person you mentioned, David? Oh, he's a uh, GMU law professor. He's really cool. I played board oh. games with him at Capricorn. Excellent. He also gave ah. me a free copy of his book because I asked politely. Lucky you. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to start today with COVID news. And the news is bad from especially Europe. Um, David, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, uh, in the mighty words of Zvi Moskowitz, which I know we've plugged it before, but if you're not following his weekly COVID blogs, you really should be. Um, And in his words, uh, Europe has gone full hockey stick. The uh, case rates in Europe are spiking, and the fatality rates are uh, usually on about a two-week lag. So while I don't want to get too apocalyptic here uh it is quite possible that uh if the fatality rates track the infection rates then next episode we might be looking at a very bad situation in europe so if you are listening from there please 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 keep an eye on the news be sensible wear masks social distance wash your hands you know, all that fun stuff that people are getting tired of. It's actually important now. And I hope that all of our listeners and all of your family members are well. So, um, yeah, that's definitely something you will want to keep an eye on. Yeah, the good news is that the um, death rates are continuing to fall as a subset of infection rates um no one's quite sure if it's because we are getting better at treatment or because there's some less virulent strain or for some other reason but for whatever reason the virus does seem less deadly so the rising case counts um will certainly trigger a rising death rate but it probably won't be proportional does anyone know what's driving the spike in europe so Zvi had an argument for it, which I wasn't entirely able to follow. Um, Basically, the way I understand it is they were very strict on the lockdown um, early on, and that prevented them from getting to any sort of herd immunity. Uh, And now they are starting to lift the lockdowns. despite the situation not really having changed. And um, since the situation hasn't changed, the um, infection rates are increasing apace. Yeah, and that is the only uh, plausible uh, hypothesis I've heard other than um, seasonality. It's possible the colder weather is increasing transmission rates. Um, because we, But that was that would be strange because... We didn't really see decreased transmission rates in warmer climates. Um, so it's probably the uh, lifting of lockdowns. And that's also um, bolstered by the fact that the one place in Europe we're not seeing increased transmission rates is Sweden, uh, who famously had no lockdown. Uh, their transmission rates are not seeing the jump everyone else's are. So. Um, it's possible that the the Swedish no lockdown strategy is actually going to come out of this a bit vindicated. Yeah, I mean the the clearly the correct strategy was either lockdown until we get a vaccine or don't lockdown at all. And in case you've forgotten from a couple of episodes ago, we are living in the stupidest of all possible timelines. So we have gone with the worst possible strategy of, you know, doing really, really strict lockdowns for a while until people get bored and then letting up on the lockdowns just to guarantee that we destroy both as much economic value as possible while saving as few lives as possible. Wow. Could they... Yeah. I don't know. They, the East Asian countries are still doing pretty good. Is it because they have the draconian uh, social tracking measures in place? Uh, my understanding of what the Asian countries have been doing is, yes, they did a very hard lockdown originally and instituted some pretty strict testing and tracing. 
Um, and they they are the, the the most draconian thing they're doing. I think is quarantining people involuntarily if they get the virus. Uh, if you get it, you know they have uh, somewhere set up. I think it's usually a hotel because nobody's using them right now. But you go there, you stay there for two weeks, and you don't leave. I mean, that sounds like a pretty darn good idea. Yeah, well, it's sort of, it's it's working for them. Um, but yeah, they have a, a pretty a pretty good testing and tracing regime in place also, which is um, why why people think that it is working now. I don't understand why Europe didn't do that as well, since they had the strict lockdowns and the time to implement all that. Hard to say. Well, I mean, we did it even worse. Yeah, but let's not forget, and this is actually leads into our best piece of news, that it's still somewhat speculative about whether different government policies are doing much at all. Um, there's a new study out that we'll link in the show notes that's trying to figure out why things are different in different parts of America and at different times. And they they analyze a number of the uh, government lockdown policies um, and their uh, uh, what, the, what the effect they had on transmission and death rates. And they really can't find any causal relationship between any of them. And, you know, all of these states had different responses. Um, South Dakota... Uh, is is sort of the Sweden of the United States in which they had no lockdowns at all and no mask mandates. Um, now, you'll remember last time we talked about the study that showed a mask mandate did have an effect in Canada. Um, but this one suggests that at least in terms of uh, geographic variance in the United States, the government policy doesn't have a huge impact. Um, now, this is... Um, like, I just remember here that government policy is not the same thing as government communication. So it's possible that people in South Dakota you were just watching what people did in North Dakota and trying to be safe individually. Um, but this one at least suggests that uh, government policy was not terribly important and did not have a, uh, an effect that they can find. Yeah. So I will say real quick that doing policy analysis is hard. Um and so I would not necessarily trust any conclusions, but it does pretty strongly match my priors that policy wouldn't really affect this uh, too much. Um, yeah. And one of the, one of the interesting uh, findings has also been that South Dakota is not doing any better economically than any of its neighboring states. That the, uh, the effects on the South Dakota economy have been felt pretty much just as bad as the states that did lockdowns yeah i mean that makes sense businesses as a general rule don't like killing their customers so i i would be fairly i'd be quite surprised if there was any uh difference in like whether businesses actually had mass policies and how strictly they were enforced uh across that border yeah so uh, you know, so throw this on the uh, the pile of evidence that the government, uh, you know, lockdowns and mandates and such aren't entirely necessary, but also that they aren't that harmful, um, which, you know, I- I'm really hoping that government policy doesn't have a, a big effect on what happens because uh, the Trump administration announced this week that uh, they're not trying to control the virus anymore. <laughs> this was, uh, let me see, Mark Meadows in an interview. He's the, uh, is he the chief of staff? Yeah, he's the, he's the chief of staff for Trump. And they said in an interview, he says, look, here's the quote. We're not going to control the pandemic. We're going to control the fact that we get vaccines, therapeutics, and other mitigation areas. So, you know, they're they're putting all their chips, apparently, on vaccines. Based on the fact that this other policy doesn't seem to be helping and that vaccines are absolutely going to help, I don't... I mean, I, I think it's kind of hilarious and sad, but on the other hand, like, vaccines are the thing that's going to work. Like, just put focus everything on that, right? we're just stuck in lockdown forever until they go through. So I, I guess I appreciate the honesty. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any faith in 
the Trump administration to do anything helpful. Yeah. So I guess it's okay that they're just going to not do anything and leave it to the states. Um, kind of fine with that. I wish they would maybe pass, uh, you know, some a relief bill to help the states not declare bankruptcy. The thing is, the FDA and CDC are executive branch whatchamacallums. Agencies? Yes, agencies. Thank you. So, like, if Donald Trump wanted to say, you know, we're going to take the vaccines that are almost certainly safe because vaccines almost never fail through phase three trials. and Like several other countries are doing. Release them to the public. Like, sure, there would be a political shitstorm and half the country wouldn't take them because we live in the stupidest of all possible timelines. But it would be better than nothing. And it would be yeah, a well. terrible, terrible reason to do the right thing. And so it, I have to support it because it would be the right thing. Yeah. And this actually leads perfectly into our next story, which is about the AstraZeneca vaccine trial, which was paused for a month. It's back on now, but it spent, uh, it was basically on pause for a month because one person got sick. And. Uh, Medical ethicists came out and, you know, yelled about how, oh, the trial needs to stop. So they stopped it. Meanwhile, they're testing the exact same vaccine over in the UK and they didn't stop their trial. And nobody really had anything negative to say about that. Yeah, medical ethicists and bioethicists just are the worst people in the world. I I don't know how they, they live with themselves, but it's... This this kind of shit has been going on for years. You know why we still don't have the the male vasectomy, not vasectomy thing, but the uh, thing where you, it's the reversible uh, sterilization. Sterilization, yeah, exactly. Because the FDA has been faffing about for goddamn twenty years at this point. It just it's. Yeah. I just don't know why anyone listens to these people. Because they'll put you in a cage if you don't. Yeah, if you don't listen to them, they'll put you in a room. But why? Why is that the law? Because fuck you! <laughs> Stupidest possible yeah. timeline. I mean, there's got, right, but like, I understand that the original intent of these things was like, let's not be the Nazis. Right? It was like, Nazis did unethical experiments, so we're gonna like, put a system in place to make sure that we don't become the Nazis. But like, everyone knows now that this is insane. And we're getting, like, a front row seat as to why. And it just blows my mind that nobody is even considering doing anything about it. Well, how many people have even heard of this? Because, I mean, it's I did not hear about this. Uh, admittedly, I don't watch a lot of news. But until you brought it up, I didn't know that the vaccine had been, trial had been put on pause because one person got sick. Uh I mean, I don't know about this specific case, but everyone knows that FDA Delenda Est, who saw the Dallas Buyers Club. Yes, but, I mean, about this specific thing, I I didn't know they paused it, and I think it's stupid that they paused it, but, like, does anyone out there know that they paused it? This is not a thing that's been in the news because of all the stupid election crap and uh, COVID-19 crap and just everything else happening. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess it was kind of a blip on the news, but yeah, it got supplanted immediately by some dumbass thing Trump tweeted or something. Yeah, yeah and lest us forget that the media, the media themselves are culpable, I saw a piece running around about how someone in the AstraZeneca trial had died. Yeah. That someone was in the control group. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah, that was my favorite piece of news about this. It's like everyone started freaking out because someone in the trial died and they weren't even taking the vaccine. Oh, um, I see. I knew though. I already knew that these like medical ethics boards were terrible because Scott Alexander has a a great post about how the one time he tried to run a trial and how it was just endless bureaucracy accomplishing nothing. Yeah. I once had a uh, professor yell at me because I tried to give my fellow students a survey uh, without having gotten um, ethical permission because uh, it was for a different class. Uh, but then I said, uh, it, and I quote, it was a simulated experiment for educational purposes. And then he was fine with it. Oh, oh my well, yeah. God. As long as you're not going to do anything useful with that data. Yeah. <laughs> But that's like it's funny, but that's that that happened, and that is the kind of thing that happens all the time. 
It's and it's just so stupid. All right, speaking of things that are stupid, there was another debate. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one who here who watched it. I tried watching the first ten minutes, and then I was like, "Yeah, I've had enough of this." <laughs> yeah, you and all of America, my friend. Yeah, it was not as entertaining as the first one. You know what was as entertaining as the first one? The Borat subsequent movie film, which was also about as long as the second debate and far more entertaining. Did you watch it? Was it good? It's pretty good. Uh, Not as good as the first one, but it's a a solid comedy. All right. The the, uh, Rudy scene definitely is uh, not as damning as it's being made out to be he was definitely just tucking it in his shirt but it works really good it works really well in context and it's great just pure earned media why don't you tell us what happened in the in the rudy scene because all i've seen is like sensationalist media coverage of it i haven't seen the movie so i don't know what actually happens yeah so uh so the basically the premise of the movie is borat is sent back to america and uh, his daughter um, smuggles herself into America with him. And uh, then it's basically, you know, typical Borat stuff, um, except he has to go in disguise or sometimes his daughter does this stuff instead. And uh, uh, she sets herself up as a journalist and goes to interview Rudy. And uh, they're doing an interview. And um, after the interview, he... She says, uh, why don't we go have a drink in the bedroom? And they're doing the whole Borat routine. Uh, and she starts untucking his shirt. And uh, then uh, while Rudy is tucking his shirt back in, uh, Borat bursts in and starts yelling about how she's only 15. Um, which is really funny, but also the actress is in her mid-20s and looks like she's in her mid-20s. So, like... It's a bit of a nothing burger story as, like, news, but it's really, really funny in the context of the movie. Okay. And that's all we have to say about the debate. <laughs> that's right. That's our debate coverage. Um, yeah, that was nothing really noteworthy at the debate. Trump um, stopped interrupting so much, so that was nice. Um, but he also just, you know... The the main thing about it was that he uh, he kept uh, uh, harping on Joe Biden for policies he didn't support and also for like not getting enough done while he was vice president. Meanwhile, he's the president and talking about all the things he wants to get done that he he didn't do his term Um, and just typical Trump lies and bluster. Uh, I think the big soundbite came out was Joe Biden being like, I'm Joe Biden. I'm not those other guys that ran. I beat those guys because we disagreed about policies. So those policies you keep talking about, those were those guys' policies. I'm Joe Biden, which I thought was pretty funny. I I was impressed that they were, like, actually trying to be somewhat civil and respecting the moderator, which was, you know, Based, new. based on the first it was new. debate, yeah. Not a thing that I thought would happen, yeah. but I guess uh, somebody had a stern talking to with them and made them go to their corners for a little bit. Yeah, Trump also tried to bring up the new revelations about Hunter Biden, <laughs> oh, which uh, which we're going to be discussing next. So, uh, Eniash, do you want to talk about the social media controversy over that? Yeah, sure. I guess we should quickly say what happened first. Yeah. Um, uh, so Hunter Biden, apparently while uh, Joe Biden was uh, vice president, got a job in quotes at a uh, Ukrainian company. They put him on their board of directors because, I don't know, I guess they thought he was a status move to have the VP son there or they thought it would give them special access or something. And at one point he tried to get his uh, get a meeting set up between a CEO and his dad. I don't I don't know exactly if there was ever a meeting they say there wasn't it never showed up in joe biden's notes but he made some sort of attempt at it at any rate yeah and the only part of this that's news is the fact that he maybe tried to get a meeting set up everyone already knew about the his him being on the board of this company that was clearly just thought that having like the vice president's son on their board would be prestigious or something yeah i mean it wasn't 
I, when I first heard about this, I thought it was some kind of government corruption thing, but it wasn't because it was a private company that was just being dumbasses. Yeah, it's just it's Hunter Biden like trading on his name, but yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> is that is that a crime now? It's I don't know. It it makes him look dumb, but what can you do? The Wastrel sons are always gonna. It's minorly it's minorly sleazy. I'm sure uh, yeah. Papa Joe wished he never did it, but. I mean, right. yeah. You want to talk about government corruption? This is like number eight thousand on the list. Yeah, I mean, if trading on your last name is a crime now, then I have some terrible, terrible news for Jared Ivanka Jr. and uh, and of course the man himself, who is a shadow of his father. Whoa! Are you suggesting that there was some nepotism going on in those hires? I would never. All right, good, because they're clearly the best people for the jobs that they're in. Clearly. Uh, but yeah, I I was told that this was the October surprise that we were waiting for. <laughs> it's like, really? Well, you remember that whole Hunter Biden thing that we already knew about? Well, he tried at some point to get a meeting set up and it probably no. didn't. But he tried. Uh, what a bastard. D- vote for Trump. Yeah. <laughs> I, I promise I'm not going to be talking about this all episode, but I do love how Sasha Baron Cohen put out a better October surprise than uh, the Trump <laughs> campaign. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I My favorite part of this story is the obviously fake origin of this information. Are you suggesting that Repair Shop Gate never happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rudy Giuliani says he got a call from a computer repairman who says Hunter Biden came in and dropped off his computer and then never came to pick it up. So he does what any computer repairman would do, which is uh, roots around on the hard drive <laughs> and finds all these emails uh, between him and this guys from Burisma. And, you know, a civic minded fellow that he is calls up Rudy Giuliani crazy shit i know which is like the fakest story i've ever heard also apparently the repairman is legally blind which is just a fun uh detail Hmm. neat is he also a ukrainian national perchance (laughs) no he's an american this is this is all all americans rudy giuliani doesn't talk to uh eastern europeans The, so this, I'm sure, would have faded into obscurity immediately, and we would have heard about it even less than we heard about the uh, COVID vaccine being put on pause. But then, for I don't even know what reason, apparently they'd never heard of the Streisand effect, uh, Facebook and Twitter both banned this article uh, for a while. Like, you could not link it um, on their services. And uh, they, I mean, they reversed that ban two days later, but that was enough to get it huge amounts of attention because now you're censoring stuff for very obvious political reasons. Like, they, I mean, how how more obvious could it possibly be that they don't want something that hurts uh, Joe Biden to get out into public knowledge and thought they could do something about it by censoring these stories on their platforms? Well, I see, I don't, I don't buy that, that they, well, like... Know, we- that they well, like what other possible reason oh i think well I, like i don't think they're like oh we need to help joe biden get elected so let's let's stop this story i think it was like we want to knock it yelled at by all the liberals like we did in 2016 uh for letting all these fake stories run all over our platforms so you know if something if something sounds like super fake we're gonna put the brakes on it until it can be verified um yes which but First of all, it looks terrible, and secondly, the people who yelled at them oh, in looks terrible. are a bunch of fucking idiots. Yeah, I don't know, that's all true. Um, and I definitely think this was, like, partisan. Like, they, they wouldn't have done this to a, a yeah. you know, a liberal source no with a story about how Trump sucks. Um, but I also don't think it was, like, this calculated political move. I think it was just they well, wanted to not get yelled at. Well, if you think that they wouldn't have done it for the equivalent story f- with Trump, then obviously there was political reasons behind their thinking right uh if you use an expansive uh definition of the term political sure um but yes this was very stupid on their part and predictably streisand affected the story into so now everyone's heard of it my my interesting hmm, not interesting my ponderance on this is like is what they did 
I mean, what they did is clearly bad because I'm very anti-censorship, but on the other hand, I'm also pro not forcing people to publish things on their platforms if they don't want to. And at this point, I'm like very conflicted as to whether they were well within their rights and good libertarians should support them, or if this was, you know, blatant manipulation and really fucking over their users and that we should be very incensed by it. Well, it's both, Aniash. You can't be on both sides of the same issue. Of course you can. can. I do it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Well, damn you both. Yeah, (laughs) no, but seriously, though, like, I I mean, I don't really see, like, so my feeling is that if you oppose censorship, then you should be on Facebook's side. Because Facebook's act of not letting people spread this story around was itself an exercise of their own free speech. Um, And uh, having a government say, no, you must, if you have this kind of platform, you must allow your users to share anything they think is worth sharing is shutting down that speech. And what we should do as good libertarians is let a thousand flowers bloom and have Facebook and Twitter with their own moderating prerogatives. We should have uh, Gab and whatever the alt-right uses, which have no moderation at all. We should have uh, Discord and Reddit, which all have their own internal moderations for servers and subreddits and just let people sort into the marketplace that they like to spend their attention on and if if the market speaks against facebook and twitter then they'll go the way of the dodo yeah there's a big difference between saying oh these companies shouldn't have done this and what these companies did should be illegal so I'm assuming you guys have heard about the calls recently to uh, regulate Facebook and Twitter like uh, public utilities. Yes. I. What do you think of those arguments? Like, are they such large platforms that they are basically de facto the public square now? No. No. Next question. All right. Good talk. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well then. No, I mean that argument's completely ridiculous. Like Facebook and Twitter are big, but the fact that they're separate companies means that neither one's a monopoly. Yeah, um, you've also got Reddit. You've also got all the other companies you just mentioned. I do most of my uh, social media on Discord these days. Yeah, not to mention that economically speaking, the way you know a monopoly is because it's restricting output and raising prices. And Facebook is free, so you can't really argue that they're charging monopoly prices. So, well, like, economically speaking, they're clearly not a monopoly. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the question was not necessarily an economic monopoly. It's are they so big that they are a public square where it's harmful to the country um, to have any kind of uh, censorship on there? And do we need to enforce free speech rights on there? Right. Um, but I, I think no, for the same reasons that there are lots of other alternatives if people don't like Facebook. Um, I think uh, there was a point at which Facebook was kind of the only place that people were really talking on the internet, but I think that's changed. Yeah, I do most of my talking on discords now. There was also a time when MySpace was the only place that people were talking on the internet, and is MySpace even uh, still a thing that exists? Uh, nuh-uh. Um, they were in hot competition with Friendster. Hey, do you not remember LiveJournal? Um, that is still a thing. Is it still around? Oh, yeah. People still have live journals. Oh, well, okay. Then. See, I, being an edgy kid, had a dead journal. Ooh. Yeah. Very gothy. Mm-hmm. Super. I was, I was very cool back then. I don't know if you guys knew that. I mean, uh, some would say that you're still cool in certain ways if you squint. Yeah, squint pretty hard. <laughs> so I look like somebody else. Uh, alright. Um... And David, what what is Steve Bannon's connection here? Yeah, so at some point in the chain of tomfuckery, uh, Steve Bannon laid his greasy hands on this laptop. Uh, and um, I'm not sure exactly how uh, it happened, but uh, he did at some point get this laptop. And while... I understand that legally it's not receiving stolen goods. 
because like the laptop wasn't because the whole computer store or repairman story technically holds legal water uh but still for the purposes of steve bannon's bail it does count as receiving stolen goods and so he might be going back to prison and if he does then we can all breathe a sigh of relief that something good came out of this whole mess is it is it not kind of bullshit that it's something can be not illegal but technically get him back in jail because for purposes of bail it's bad yes that is uh a large amount of bullshit i'm not positive that's what's happening though um i don't know anything about this story so i can't give you the full legal analysis but um i will try to have that by next episode our next story is about uh the more social media news we've got the justice department taking issue with google that's not technically social media news google's social media I mean, they tried to be for a little bit, and it failed completely. It's an internet, though. Internets are all social yeah, media. God, don't you know? I'm sorry, my bad. I wasn't. Yeah, you fucking boomer. Yes. I'm one of the olds, so I didn't know that all of the internet's <laughs> social media now. Ugh. The sad part is we have that backward. It's the olds who think it's all social media. Oh yeah, you're right. All right. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so the social Tell us about department. The story. Just social department. God damn it! Now you got me doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that part in. Oh, fine. Uh, the Justice Department is suing Google, um, saying that they're violating antitrust law by basically just being too darn big. And uh, the specific complaint is that um, Google has uh, their Chrome browser, which is automatically set to open up Google whenever anyone types any sort of search into it uh, without asking them what search engine they would like to use, and that they have exclusive contracts with a number of providers and that the Android phones all come with this uh, Chrome browser pre-installed and that always goes automatically to google.com and basically that they're funneling a lot of traffic at google.com um, which is not a new argument uh, the same argument was made to of Microsoft way back in the day when people cared about Microsoft and uh, they bundled their Internet Explorer uh, browser with every PC that came out that had a, a new Microsoft software on it. Well, that ran Windows, basically. Um, I remember and, that case. Yeah, and at the time, I was a feisty young teenager, and as a techie teenager, I too hated Microsoft for being kind of crappy and really big, and I was like, yes, good, stick it to the Microsofts for being these jerks. But, I mean, looking back on it now and looking at this Google case as well, I... I kind of get the feeling like they're just trying to loot a company because of course it's that's big. what they're doing. Like that's what they were doing for Microsoft too. I'm sorry, I thought this was common knowledge. I know. Well, I mean, I never thought about the Microsoft thing again until just now because when I was a teenager, you know, I was young and fiery and full of justice, and now I'm more like, huh, that 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 seems kind of like bullshit. Yeah, no, and, uh, no. so the, the accepted story of the Microsoft antitrust case is Microsoft didn't have offices in Washington, D.C., and uh, the government was like, okay, fine, if you're not going to pay us your money by the, you know, usual methods we've set up for everyone else to give us a bunch of money for no reason, then we're going to come and take it. And they did. And then Microsoft opened offices in Washington, D.C., yeah and yeah i don't know like sounds so, about right the, so the, 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 it's it's extremely easy to change your default search engine um it's very easy to install a new web browser almost no one ever does any of those things oh everyone does those things so, qu quick economics lesson for you <laughs> if you're wondering whether a company that provides its main product for free is a monopoly. <laughs> Take a brick with a black sharpie, draw the word no on it, and smash yourself in the face with that brick until you get the message. Well, your your argument, though, is that their main product is the search engine, whereas uh, I and most other people, I assume, would argue that their main product is the advertising. So uh, they are actually charging for the advertising. Like, the search engine is how they get eyeballs to the advertising, but that is what they sell. Yeah. 
but advertising is usually done by big companies and the way the Federal Trade Commission justifies its existence is by saying that it acts as a protector of the small powerless individual against the big spooky corporations and companies big enough to buy advertisements from Google don't need any protection from the big spooky corporations because they are themselves big spooky corporation. Wow, words are hard. Wes, don't you advertise on Google? Uh, uh, I do advertise on Google, and I am not a big spooky corporation. Back um, to definitely. I... You're definitely big and spooky. <laughs> my, my ad budget is $700 per month. Uh, so, um, that would be, if Google was actually a monopoly and, and gouging me on its prices, I would be pretty upset about that. But they are, uh, seemingly not doing that. Um, this whole, but this whole thing seems like a very silly case. Because Google is not the only search engine, it's just the best one. And plenty of people have things they don't like about it, so they use other search engines. Um, certainly, I've had programs on on several platforms try to change my search engine to Bing, um, which I dislike and immediately change it back. Uh, but it's not like I'm using Google by default. Uh, and this is like it, it does resemble a lot the uh, the Internet Explorer antitrust case because at the yes. time that was happening, yeah, I'm pretty sure everyone was mostly using Internet Explorer to download Chrome or Firefox. So it's uh it yeah, it definitely seems like some kind of shakedown. I so the two good things that could come from this is that uh, when you first open up a, a new device's browser, it would ask you, like, what search engine do you want to use and give you a list of options, which I think would be an improvement, but not one that is so good it should have the force of law behind it. And uh, the other thing is that uh, in some of these devices, like the Android, not only does Chrome come pre-installed, but you literally cannot remove it. Uh, I mean, not literally, literally, if you are tech-savvy enough, you can jailbreak your phone and get in there and pull it out. But any sort of... Again, that is a thing where I think Googly... Uh, Googly! Singling out Google... Yes. Singling out Google for this treatment is um, dumb. It should... If they're going to take a stand against this, which I think is a good idea, there should be a general law that changing someone's device so that they cannot remove uh, software without hacking uh, into your own device is just, you know, a definition of malware and is illegal. And that would be okay, but singling out just Google for that? I I feel the righteous indignation and the joy of seeing them punished for having things undeletable from the app, but I, I don't think it's the right thing to do in the grand scheme, especially because, like David says, I su seriously suspect this is just a shakedown. Yeah, no, what you need to do is take that righteous rage and channel it towards, you know, the actual evil people who have way too much power over your lives and set out to destroy you. Say it with me now. Podcasters. No, the government. The government. Not podcasters? <laughs> oh, I don't know, man. I got into this podcasting gig for the power. Namely the FTC, because they are uh, exceptionally bad. They are, in fact, the treasuries of the Delenda S Club. Who's the, the president? The FDA. Uh, the FDA, of course. Uh, of course. <laughs> how, could I, how could I have any doubt? <laughs> president and founding member. I, I think the founding member was actually Carthage. <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, History no, joke. So, so that... So, Carthage has the same relation to the Delenda Est Club as, um, like, the Olympics put on by ancient Greece have to the modern Olympics. Okay, All right. That's fair. Well, now that we've talked about everything that sucks, it's time to move on to happy news. Yay. And our first story is coming to us from Eniash. Yeah, this is actually kind of a follow-up because I remember we talked about this two episodes ago, I think where we talked about the new small modular nuclear reactors. Yes. And we were, you know, kind of thinking, oh, well, that's cool, but we're never going to see anything happen with it because regulations and shit. As it turns out, U.S. Department of Energy has approved a cost-share award of more than a billion dollars for the construction of the first uh, new-scale small modular power plants in the U.S. Uh, new-scale being the brand name, I believe. Uh, which is 
great. We're, we're actually going to get more nuclear power. How how this is the most best thing I've heard out of the power sector since uh, ten minutes from now when we're here going to hear more good stuff. But uh, it's it's good things. And it proves that federal agencies can in fact do something right every once in a while. It's it's so nice to know that governments can be competent, and I wish we had more of them, because when I was pro-government, it was because I saw them doing good, nice, competent things, and uh, I, I, I don't know exactly when the government turned into the shit fuck pile that we have now. I will refrain on popping the champagne until the megawatts begin to flow, um, because as far as I understand it, the, um, it's not that hard to get to the stage that these reactors are the trouble comes when you try to actually build build them and people start screaming about having nuclear bombs in their backyard um oh. although uh a, a quick preview of my troop deployment i read uh where's my flying car by j stores hall um over the past fortnight and uh he relates this anecdote about a author friend who asked a nuclear physicist friend what's the easiest way to have a um a nuclear reactor explode and the physicist responded uh have someone carry a nuclear bomb into the reactor <laughs> <laughs> yeah but people don't understand that they just know that atoms are spooky and so, yeah, I the, I am cautiously optimistic about this, but uh, I have learned not to underestimate the power of Karens trying to ruin things that are. Yeah, last I saw, there were somewhere between ten and thir- ten and fifteen towns in um, in Idaho where they were going to put these reactors, and two of them had changed their minds, um, but the other ones are all still on board. So hopefully that holds. Uh, so, our other good energy news is that this past week, solar power officially became the cheapest electricity in the world. Um, cheaper than fossil fuels, cheaper than nuclear, cheaper than wind, um, which is really great news because um, if we can keep that trend going, that means that developing nations can use solar instead of fossil fuels um and and this would be really good news for climate change because we're all just kind of ignoring the fact that no matter what all the uh you know the richest countries in the world do the um developing nations and especially countries like china who have just a whole ton of growth to do before they catch up on us are going to end up um producing a lot more uh of the uh greenhouse gases as they continue to industrialize but if uh if this trend can hold and we can keep the price down then you know developing nations just acting in their own self-interest are going to uh, choose renewable energy over fossil fuels so that would be awesome well we'd also have to get uh, affordable and easily scalable technology to hold uh energy um, store energy, I guess, so that uh, when it's not being produced, it can be still used, for example, during the night or when wind is uh, blowing. But this is, I mean, this is a great step, huge step forward. And uh, they're, they're working on the other one, too. Yeah. Um, but I believe the, the um, analysis here does include batteries. Including batteries, you say? Well, e- well I believe I be so. Damned. I think it's just an analysis of total cost per megawatt. Yeah, I mean, the costs of nuclear are mostly regulatory, and uh, the mm-hmm. form of storing energy that we know of and can easily do uh, that still works when the wind's not blowing or during the night is called thorium. Uh, but we live in the stupidest of all timelines, and we can't have nice things. Um yeah, I I am hopefully going to be able to do an uh, audiobook of Where's My Flying Car? Uh, watch this space. You will hear about it here first. Um, I The author is on board. He just needs to talk to his publisher. Um, but yeah, he has some thoughts about that. 
and hopefully I'll be able to re- relay those to you in a bonus episode or maybe an episode of the Bayesian Conspiracy if the audiobook goes through. We'll see. Anyway, good news from the energy sector. We've got cheap solar power and innovation in nuclear. Uh, next story that was good news this week was that a town in Ohio called Plymouth elected a libertarian mayor who then dismissed every speeding ticket in town, (laughs) which is just great. Apparently, Ohio has some crazy system where the mayor presides over the court. And so the mayor just used that power to dismiss every single speeding ticket which I think is just fantastic. That sounds like a bad idea in general, but when it happens in the kind of towns where libertarians can get elected mayor, fuck it. That's awesome. Three cheers for a benevolent dictatorship. Yeah, and I am. Uh, I would like to remind everyone that, uh, that um, the safest roads are the ones with no rules, rules at all. So um, if you're trying to justify your traffic laws by talking about safety don't i have you um have you met the the traffic problems in third world countries have i met them yeah because they're really really bad and actually having some rules of the road is a great thing for, for i traffic. don't know the researchers disagree with you i mean i can see how in america it would be relaxing or removing the laws once everyone has already uh, internalized the rules of the road and follows them generally is would be a net positive but in in places like egypt and india where there's just no rules at all it is a cluster i mean i would guess that the problems in egypt and india are density you took the words right out of my mouth i i also imagine if the uh if the study you're citing wes what did include international um uh roads it might be confounded by just like people driving a lot slower because their cars and roads are so much shittier um so that's something i'd need to check uh to see how much stock i could put into the actual study uh it's possible it was uh, an international study because i don't think there's anyone anywhere in america that doesn't have traffic laws uh the federal government's seen to that um but no what they find is generally that when a, a, a road has no rules, including, they say, um, for where pedestrians go, um, no sidewalks or anything, it's just one big road, that drivers pay a lot more attention um, because they're not just assuming that everything will be fine if they follow the rules. So they're, they're paying attention. So if something does happen that's un- unexpected, they see it sooner. I mean, I, I really want to point you at the pedestrian fatality rates in these countries because they are shockingly right. high. I mean, like I said, I think that the problem there is probably density. Um, but I I just was not aware that Egypt and India were free of traffic laws. There's a lot of places where they just are not enforced at all. Well, that's that's a little different, I think. Is it? Well, yeah, because the gains from this are not necessarily that people know the rules like like the the safety gains you get from this are from actually having no rules not having rules that everyone knows about and just you know breaks it will i feel like that's the worst of all worlds because people are still counting on other people following the rules and then they don't in that case you lose so much efficiency just by people not even knowing which side of the road is the correct road side to drive on that it's not worth it i'm sure local norms prevail (laughs) yeah uh that that sounds like a pretty easy problem to solve uh, at least for a uh, well-functioning Ancapistan, though uh, I imagine if there's, like, no easy coordination methods at all, then uh, that could maybe be a problem. All right. Well, maybe maybe another topic for a bonus episode. Just right before we move on to this, uh, from this, I wanted to say that, like, it used to be that my favorite part of this uh, story was that all the speeding tickets were dismissed. Now that I've clicked through, my favorite part of the story is that when some when the reporter asked her about it and thought that the city council was involved, she replied, "Just me, lol." Yeah. <laughs> I anytime a, a mayor includes lol in their answer, I'm mm. just pleased. All right. Well, then I guess you should vote libertarian. Yeah. Or write in Andrew Yang. <laughs> in other small town news, we've got another fun story out of Bloomington, Indiana. 
Yes, uh, Bloomington, Indiana is the future birthplace of uh, Captain Catherine Janeway, and they just unveiled a nice little monument uh, commemorating it. Um, So, uh, Wes, uh, where is Janeway? I know you like uh, Star Trek. Where is Janeway on your um, Captains of Star Trek ships tier list? I think Janeway is probably three or four. You would put her above... uh... Well, definitely above Kirk. Kirk was kind of <laughs> pawns. Yeah, like, you can't really beat mm-hmm. Picard and Cisco. Yeah. Um, but she, I could see her being number three under them. She was, the thing is, like, I liked her as a captain, just the rest of the series was crappy. Yeah, it was all, like, bullshit, like, shitty versions of the other, <laughs> like, yeah. next generation characters. But, fucking awesome that Bloomington, Indiana did that. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Also, David, I want to point out, I don't think it counts as commemorating if it hasn't happened yet. You can pre-commemorate in timeline funkiness. I don't know. They were traveling back in time all the time in Star Trek. No, that's true. I feel like the English language is insufficient for the task of describing (laughs) this sort of thing. And commemorating is the closest word we have in this feeble. All right. Fair enough. Um, do, do you actually want to talk about this, uh, BBC story that happened two years ago? I do, because it's a nice little, um, object lesson in how to be rational when doing news. Uh, so, so I was very excited recently because a, uh, news story came uh, up on my Facebook feed about a... Eight-year-old girl who had pulled a sword from a fifteen-hundred-year-old uh, sword from a lake in Sweden, and uh, I did not realize until after I had shared it around Discord and all my other social medias that it was in fact from two years ago, and this small child was not going to save us, at least not from 2020, because she probably would have done it by now. Um, I still think she's probably someone to watch, and uh, any like political uh office she runs for she should be fully supported in because she is of course the chosen one but also whenever you see interesting stories about cool things that might happen in the near future check the date on them because uh sometimes they like it's uh sometimes you can um how to say see the future make no you can have your advanced predictions falsified immediately. Uh, so, like, if you think that an eight-year-old would uh, take over the world and fix everything, like, six months after she pulls a sword out of a lake, then, uh, I mean, you you would be able to say, oh, no, that's not true right away if you just notice that the story's from two years ago. All right. Now, I will point out that this little girl, uh, when this story broke, was eight years old. So yes. it's still possible she could save the world, but at least wait till her teen years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, eh, reading... She's not much of a chosen one if she had to wait till her teen years. I mean, reading YA fiction has taught me that 14 years old is the sweet spot for this kind of thing. And as we all know, strange women lying in ponds distributing swords <laughs> is the best basis for a system of government. Yeah. I mean, even Harry Potter didn't start saving the world till he was 11. Yeah. It's true. He only saved his school. We should check up on her, see if she saved her school from something bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right. A uh, evil quote-unquote dictator who spent seven years failing to take over a high school. Very intimidating. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the other great part of the story. Her name is Saga. Yes. How, how oh, awesome. she's Swedish-American. Saga Vanacek. Yeah, nope, seems she hasn't done much that's interesting since then, but I'm going to see if she's on Facebook. All right, well, actually, you, you know what? Saga, I Fr- might have had some. Friending a random 10-year-old girl on Facebook is probably not a very good thing, <laughs> but I will put a reminder in my phone to check that in a couple years. All right, More than and with that, like, with that, we're going to move on to troop deployments. As we all know, politics is the mind killer and arguments are soldiers. So in that spirit, we invite each of our hosts each episode to send out a soldier onto the battlefield. And today we're going to start with David. Yeah, so my troop deployment is a book called Where's My Flying Car by Jay Storrs Hall. Um, 
I mentioned it earlier in the episode, essentially the book is trying to answer the question in the title. Uh, and he uh, goes into a lot of detail. He is an engineer by trade, uh, working in nanotechnology, so very smart guy, definitely knows his stuff. And he uh, basically goes through what technologies would be necessary for flying cars to happen and uh, says basically that most of them, the technical problems have already been solved. Uh, and the reason why we don't have flying cars is because of largely regulation around uh, aeronautics and, um, and uh, liability uh, around aeronautics. Um, producers of uh, personal use of airlines face mu much stricter liability rules than do uh, car manufacturers, and this has led to a system where most private aircraft can't be produced profitably. Uh, and so, uh, in one particularly delightful passage of the book, he says... Um, most private aircraft are now either home-built or more than 50 years old, and this has been done in the name of safety. Um, so, yeah, it's an excellent book. I highly recommend it if you want to know where the future we were promised 40-plus uh, years ago is. Uh, if you're a fan of classic sci-fi, your Asimovs and Heinleins and so on, uh, I really cannot recommend it enough. It is quite a bummer because he will tell you about all the cool stuff that is totally within our technological reach, but our society is too cowardly to actually use. Um, but it is quite good if you can handle that. And also, I'm hopefully going to read an audiobook of it. Watch this space. All right. Thank you, David. Eniash, what have you got for us? Uh, I'm going to kind of cheat with mine and just... Um, promote something that I had done earlier. Uh, the other podcast, which we have mentioned before, is the Basin Conspiracy, and normally we don't politi uh, cover political stuff there because, I don't know, I just don't want to, for the most part, get into politics. Uh, but the we did, in our last episode, talk about the Earnit Act and the Lane Act, L-A-E-N Act, uh, Earnit they, which are basically attempts to uh, give government uh, full censorship powers over the internet. Um, perhaps some people would disagree with that uh, assessment, but I think it's fairly accurate. Uh, the Internet Act would have um, would have all internet providers basically forced to scan all content that is p placed anywhere on their service uh, to make sure that it isn't child porn. But uh, you know. They now have to scan literally everything and and approve it. And the Lane Act is a law that makes it literally illegal to have any sort of end-to-end -end encryption. All encryption would have to have a backdoor built in so that the government could uh, look at anything that was sent in the Internet, at least with an end user in the borders of the United States. So they're terrible. Uh, this is the dystopian future we were warned about in my opinion, and if you want to hear more about that, we got an hour and a half episode about it in The Basin Conspiracy. Go listen to it, it's yeah. good. I, I gotta give a shout out to the authors of the Lame Act for actually giving their bill an appropriate name, although it's not spelled <laughs> L-A-M-E, instead of the usual shitty backronym. Oh, sadly it's an N and not an M. Yeah. Alright. And my uh, soldier this week because it is our last episode before the election. Um, and is, the special live broadcast bonus. And the special live broadcast bonus episode uh, is to save the Republican Party by voting Democrat this election. Uh, last year, I caught up on The West Wing, which is a liberal wish fulfillment show about what would happen if we had an actual functioning government. <laughs> In its final season... It featured an entire episode consisting of a presidential debate between liberal Jimmy Smits and conservative Alan Alda. The two candidates agreed about the problems facing the country, 
and the liberal put forward ways the government could solve those problems for people, while the conservative detailed ways in which citizens could solve those problems themselves if the government would only let them. It was beautiful. It was the best political debate I've ever seen, and it was pure fantasy. Meanwhile, in the real world, we had one debate where the president's debate strategy was to vomit out enough bullshit to cover the entire gallery, and one where his strategy was to pretend Joe Biden had been the president for the past four years. There was no actual policy debate. The only policy debates in this country happen on the left because only the left bothers trying to make policies that appeal to voters. Republicans campaign entirely on culture war signaling and sabotage every effort to have a policy debate because they know they will lose. They won't admit that they are in court right now trying to destroy Obamacare. The Republican National Convention didn't even bother coming up with a policy platform. Their supported policies sound so cartoonishly evil that when researchers describe them to voters, the voters refuse to believe their real policies. This country needs a functioning conservative party with real policy ideas about small government, low taxes, states' rights, and individual freedom to balance out the left's inclination to fix every problem with more government. Unfortunately, all we have on the right is an unprincipled clown show whose answer on every policy question is pray harder and buy a gun. This has to change, and the only way it can change is if the current Republican Party is absolutely buried at the ballot box. They will keep this up for as long as it works, so let's make sure it never works again. Please vote Democrat. I will say that uh, buy a gun is occasionally actually the right policy. <laughs> Other than that, here, here. Although, galaxy brain version... Uh, vote republican oh no so that trump has four more years to consolidate his control over uh the republican party and then when he dies of a kfc induced heart attack the republican party goes down with him and because our electoral system inevitably creates a two-party system the libertarian party will step in to fill the vacuum brilliant all right so that's our show for this week uh, please follow us on whatever you use to download podcasts. We're on all of them. Um, if you love us or hate us, please uh, leave us a review. If you really love us, uh, join our Patreon. You'll get access to exclusive bonus episodes, and you'll get early access to every show, and you'll be able to chat with us in our private Discord room. Ooh, fancy. And we will be back on election night. So come hop on Discord and follow along with us it'll be uh it'll certainly be an experience guys are we drinking on election night there is no way in heaven or hell you will be able to make me not drink <laughs> all right i i am saving what's left of my uh 151 proof rum that i tried oh, to make hand shit. sanitizer out of for <laughs> election night all right well if that's not a sales pitch i don't know what is um, so we'll see everybody then. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.